a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Amidst all the drama going on on Capitol Hill, there's some other things going on that are very important. President Biden is going to the border for the first time since becoming president. Uh, Ahead of this trip on Sunday, the uh, president and Secretary uh, Mayorkas announced plans and changes to the administration's immigration policy. So what was the announcement? Where does it lead? What does the border trip really look like? What can we expect on Sunday uh, always grateful to be able to turn to Suzanne Moniak, a, a staff writer at CQ Roll Call, who covers immigration law and policy in the courts and on Capitol Hill, and uh, always gives us great perspective on this. Suzanne, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. And I, I slaughtered your name, Moniak. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, okay. it, it's clearly a Friday. So, <laughs> uh, so in your piece in, in uh, Roll Call, uh, give us a little sense. A lot of people missed it in all the other drama going on on Capitol Hill. Uh, in terms of what the president actually announced in terms of, of policies at the border. Yes, yesterday, while um, all of the drama over who will be the House Speaker was unfolding on Capitol Hill, President Biden was making a pretty major border announcement. He announced that um, he's going to be expanding an immigration program that's currently only available to Venezuelans. He'll be expanding it to those from Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua as well. And essentially what this program will allow is up to 30,000 people per month from those four countries will be able to apply to legally enter the U.S. So that will allow them under a temporary immigration status known as parole. So this is going to allow these individuals who are eligible for the program to fly essentially on a commercial airline from their country of origin to the United States without having to make that dangerous journey to the border, while also, you know, shield sparing border agents who are overwhelmed currently with the number of border crossings um, from having even more. However, uh, eligibility is certainly limited. Uh, The program is only open to those who have financial sponsors in the United States as well as those who can afford an airline ticket um, and who pass a security screening. And in turn, uh, coupled with this interest in all legal pathway, the administration also announced that up to 30,000 migrants a month from those four countries who do cross the border illegally and don't take advantage of this program will be expelled back to Mexico. Mm. Uh, so let's break those down just a, a little bit. Uh, one, in terms of just the, the timing of this, any uh, obviously, the president has his trip uh, to Mexico. That's clearly part of this. Uh, but in particular, we're looking at, at Cuba, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, and uh, Haiti. Um, any particular reason why those specific countries or this specific time to roll out these these new policies? As for countries, these are nations that have experienced extreme political and economic upheaval. Uh, in recent months, or in some cases, you know, over the course of years. And they're seeing increasing numbers of migrants arriving from those nations to the border. The president said that 
Um, these nations are making up some of the bulk of the migrants who are headed to the U.S.-Mexico border right now. And so this program is really aiming to discourage people from those countries from making that journey, from presenting themselves at the border in a way that you know border agents may not be able to predict how many people are coming each day. The idea is that a parole program, as they're calling it, like this, would allow the system to be more orderly. And you know, potential migrants could apply from home without having to you know trek through um, that journey to the Darien Gap, which is very dangerous, and instead then fly into the U.S. when they were expecting to receive them. And the idea would just be that it would be a safer and more orderly process. Um, advocates, of course, have concerns about the program and the way it has been rolled out and whether or not it will be um, and, you know, a viable alternative to our you know, current system. But um, that is the goal of, of having those four countries um, be included. And as for the timing, yes, as you mentioned, that President Biden is planning to head to El Paso this weekend on Sunday for what will be the first trip to the border of his presidency. He's been under a lot of pressure from congressional Republicans in particular to make a border trip amid these you know, very high migration levels. So I do think it is significant that he's choosing to make this trip just days after announcing this major migration initiative. It shows that he's probably going to be ready to defend this policy that he's come up with, or I should say that they've announced this week, um, and that he's planning to meet with border officials, local officials, you know, nonprofits on the border, other stakeholders to discuss how it might be implemented. Yeah, and Suzanne, I want to get a couple of angles into that because to me, there there are some some things to really like about this. One, uh, just in terms of uh, making it better and easier to come here legally, it's also tightening up those who come here illegally. Uh, it also should provide some relief for for just what is happening uh, at the border. Uh, and so to me, it seems to contain a lot of the things that people on both sides of the aisle agree on. So that part seems great to me. Of course, some are going to push back on this simply because it was executive order as opposed to going through Congress. Uh, but as you as you look at it, does this not seem like a, a deal or a space uh, where the president might be able to get some bipartisan support in terms of, look, here's these are the kinds of approaches that we've got to get to when it comes to immigration. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Certainly, potentially. Um, I think a lot of people are calling this a you know, carrot-and-stick approach, where mm. the carrot being uh, this program that allows people to come here legally and the stick being this added enforcement measure. I think it's one of those things when you have you know something like that where there's something for everybody, there's also something that everybody doesn't like. Um, right. And so I think we're seeing that a little bit here. Uh, immigrant advocates largely take issue with the fact that this parole program is just somewhat limited. 30,000 is really a drop in the bucket compared to how many people are fleeing danger in those countries. 
And the program, as I mentioned, is limited to those who could afford a plane ticket, who might have access to information about this program to apply online, and very importantly, to a financial sponsor here in the U.S. A lot of migrants in these nations are not going to have somebody willing to sign a piece of paper to say that they're going to financially support them for the next Mm -hmm. two years. That's an important limiting factor as well. And advocates primarily want to make sure that there is an asylum process available for somebody who may not have those resources, may not have a passport to come to the U.S., doesn't have the money to, to enter this process, to still be able to come to the border and make a legal asylum claim. Also, advocates take issue with the fact that while, yes, they're happy to see a legal pathway expanded, that's what they would like to continue seeing. I think they feel that it shouldn't have to come paired with enforcement measures. You know, why is every time you expand a legal pathway, why do we got to match it? I think that's what I'm hearing from groups. Yeah. And then, of course, Republicans tend to be wary of anything that they perceive to be as amnesty, um, a term used for, you know, anything that would allow someone without legal status to come live here anyways. And so I think those are just sort of the concerns you're seeing from both sides. But obviously, this is a complicated issue. Very difficult to to please everybody. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think this is a good step by the president. I, I think it is one of those uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see if any of the challenges come by way of the courts in terms of this just being done by executive order versus through Congress. Are you hearing any rumblings on that front or do people seem to say, well, let's just see how this plays out a little bit? A bit too, too soon to tell. Um, advocates certainly are raising concerns in particular about one initiative announced yesterday that we actually haven't talked about yet, um, which is an upcoming proposed rule that the Biden administration has said they're going to be putting forward. That would restrict asylum eligibility for migrants who traverse multiple countries en route to the U.S., do not take advantage of any of the parole programs, and then also do not attempt to seek asylum or another form of protection in one of those other countries like Guatemala or Mexico, for example, if they're heading up from the south. And so that is a bit of a, you know, might sound familiar to you. It somewhat mirrors the Trump administration's so-called asylum transit ban, uh, which was an attempt by the prior administration to deny asylum claims from migrants who had failed to first seek it in Mexico or another nation that they passed through. That was ultimately struck down in court. The Biden administration claims that this policy is going to be different. They're saying there's going to be a lot of humanitarian exemptions and that the legal pathways that are already available that we discussed earlier are going to sort of counterbalance at that. But, of course, advocates have, you know, are not happy to hear uh, anything that sounds like a Trump-era policy coming back to life. And some have said that they believe it's illegal. So I think that policy, uh, when it is put forward, is likely to receive uh, legal challenges. Okay. And, uh, and again, I think the one thing we have to look at in all of these is the, the thing we're trying to do in all of this is, one, to prove out the fact that we can have rule of law and compassion, that those are compatible principles, that we can have an asylum policy uh, that actually works for those who really do need to seek asylum, who are being persecuted or who are in danger uh, we need to have that. We we need to have that. That's part of who we are as part of our DNA as uh, the United States of America. Uh, we also have to make sure uh, that we're we're doing this in a way that uh, can actually work and be sustainable because so often uh, we end up, and just as you've described it, Suzanne, so often we're doing these things trying to create some certainty in a path, uh, and in the way we go about it, we end up creating more uncertainty uh, and more confusion and more problems down the road uh, for these very people that we're, we're trying to help in that process. Uh, Suzanne Monjak, staff writer at CQ Roll Call. She covers immigration law and policy in the courts on Capitol Hill. And uh, Suzanne, I always appreciate your perspective on this great insight. And there'll be a lot to discuss in the weeks ahead in terms of how this rolls out, where the challenges are, and what can actually be done and sustained. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Thanks again. All right, we'll step aside for some bottom-of-the-hour news. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, obviously there's a lot of things happening on Capitol Hill. Representative John Curtis is going to join us live from our nation's capital. Coming up next, stick around on Inside Sources. We'll be right back. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.